So I wrote a sermon for us, continuing our series of questions that need answers. And then last night I went on a run. And while I was on my run, due to circumstances that have been brought up that not only recent but have been going on, I realized that today we had to talk about something. And something that is very real for us. And so at 8.30 last night, I just started writing, and this is the fruit of it. We'll see how it goes. I believe God's going to speak through it. Uh, teachers, I'm sorry for the audible and uh, change of plans, but this is what I have to do. Um, in seminary, uh, I'll start now. In seminary, I, um, I'm i always a get-to-places-early um, person, but I would get to school an hour early every single day just to sit and talk. To be there with friends and we would gather around a table. We didn't do homework. We didn't read. We didn't catch up on anything. We just talked. And it was really good for me. And then one guy in my class, probably one of my best friends in school, showed up the second year we were together to that table, sat down and looked at us and he said, guys, I have depression. And I didn't know what to do. I was stunned shocked did i need to get up and hug him do i need to pray for him right this second what what is the response how can i help him i didn't know he was going through this all we did was laugh and joke and have a great time and we were studying the bible together how can he be in this situation did, do i need to tell someone what does this really mean how can we go through it? and it was hard for me to relate to clayton for weeks after that, because I had never walked into that. See, when I was in college, when we would share in Bible studies or with our friends, we would share about self-esteem issues, financial issues, purity issues. Those were common to me. I know how to have those conversations. Mental illness, I don't. I didn't know what to do eight years ago when that reality hit. And now, every single week, I have that conversation with somebody in this room. Because the reality of mental illness is in front of us. This is not some minority that is dealing with this. No, this is a non-discriminatory, you know what I'm trying to say, problem that is wrecking and ravaging our campus and the church. And so this morning, I, I don't claim to be an expert. I don't pretend to be an expert. This morning, I am not uh, being able to reverse biological, psychological, physiological issues going on. This morning, I, I'm not going to tell you that, oh, because you listened in for 15, 20 minutes, that all of your pain, your suffering, your depression, your anxiety is going to go away. No, I, I'm not making those claims. Here's what I am going to tell you. This morning, I want you to hear very clearly these three statements. You are loved. You are valued. And you have help. You are loved. You are valued. And you have help. Because so many of you, and I'll read a statistic later, are going through this alone. Fighting these issues by themselves without hope and without anybody coming around them. And here we are as a church who have created this taboo to talk about this. That we don't want to speak on it. That we cannot share. And so this morning, I was just broken to this point that we have to. 
Every morning when you walk into our church, you hear this phrase, people matter and you matter to us. That isn't because we care about crowds or numbers or attendance. We care about individuals. Single moms and overworked dads, uh, temperamental teenagers, shy second graders, college students that come from all over our state and country who have real hurts and real pains, and senior adults who are going through real issues and just trying to hold on. We care about the individual. And when you show up here, you are going to be known, you are going to be heard, you're going to be cared for, you're going to be seen. And so this morning, I just want to break down those three words that I said. You are loved, you are valued, and you have help. So you are loved. We know those words from the Bible about salvation, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. We know God loves us. We know 1 John 4, 19 will say we love because he first loved us and that we know love because he sent his son to die for us. We know those in these uh, salvation ways, but we must understand that God loves us as individuals as well. I love the picture. I said love too many times in the last 30 seconds. But the, the picture of Jesus at his baptism, if you remember, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. He's raised from the, uh, the water. A dove descends, and a voice from heaven calls out, This is my beloved son, my well-loved, my much dearly loved son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, take a step back for a second. What has Jesus done before his baptism? Nothing. He's grown up in this household. He's probably apprenticed under his dad as a carpenter. He's stayed behind in the temple a little bit and freaked out his parents when they got home and didn't know where he was. But he hadn't walked on water. He hadn't fed 5,000. He hadn't healed the sick. He hadn't healed the blind. He hadn't done these miracles. He hadn't gone to the cross. And yet before any of his activity, God loves him. Not for what he has done, but for who he is. You are loved by God for who you are, not what you accomplish, not what you have made, not what you have built, not what you have scored. You are much loved by God. And yes, that leads him to sending Jesus. And yes, that leads him to caring about you. But he loves you for who you are because he made you and He, you are his prized possession. You are not loved because you made it into maze or because you are all state with an extracurricular or because you earned a scholarship or recognition. You are not loved for what you do, but for who you are. Brennan Manning, an author that I just learned so much from, he says this, My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. I hope to be at that point more and more in my life where I can fully believe I am deeply loved by Jesus, and it doesn't depend on who Jordan is and what he has done. Sadly, some of you have never heard you are loved. You've wanted it from a parent, from a friend, from a significant other, maybe not so significant at this age, but an other. You've wanted and you've chased it, trying to earn love, receive love based on grades or performance or relationship. But to I want you just to know this morning, no matter what you bring to this room, no matter what your past, your present, or your future is going to look like, I know something for sure about you is that you are loved by God. Without a doubt, unashamedly, you are loved. Like the father running to the prodigal when he is far off, 
God will run to us. I heard this yesterday as well as I was, didn't even know I was going in this direction. But Louis Giglio says this, We oftentimes want to say God is the reflection of our earthly father. But for many of you, you go, I sure hope not. Instead, he says, God is the perfection of what an earthly father should be. God is not a reflection because some of you have really poor reflections. But God is the perfection of what a father should be. You are loved, not only by God, but by me and this church. I mean that. Some of you get under my skin. Some of you frustrate me and do things to annoy me. Music Tuesday, anybody? Right? (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But you are loved. Really. I know you're going through hard things. I know you're struggling. I know life just seems overwhelming and you don't know what to do. But don't ever forget you're loved. Second one, you are valued. I'll be a lot quicker from now on. I was reading Romans 12 this week in my devotions, and it brought up that each of the church, each person in the church has a part to play, that we are members of a body. We aren't the whole body. We're members of the body, and there's value in each one of us. Now, oftentimes when we hear, oh, I have value, I need to play my part, we think I have to be the best at this. No, you don't have to be the best, but you still need to use your giftedness. There are 10 people in this room that can play guitar. Only one of them can be the best. But it doesn't mean we still need the other nine to be leading us in worship and using their giftedness. Some of you are more outgoing and more friendly and more welcoming and better at talking and small talk than others. But I don't care if you're the best. You need to be using what God has made you to be. And when you don't, we're failing as a body. You are valuable to us. We need you. You matter. And you bring good. Quit comparing yourself. Well, my good's not as good as their good. I don't care. You bring good to the table. The church needs you. And when you are not a part of it, and when you are not being who you were made to be, we are lacking. It says, and most of the girls in here will probably know this, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? But when we deny that, when we say, well, I'm not as good as her, when I'm not as smart as him, when I'm unable to do what they can do, we are denying that God has fearfully and wonderfully made us, that he has worked in us for good and great things, that he has a plan for us. We are saying he's not a very good creator, because look at me. See, Satan is really good at hiding the fact that you're valued. Satan tells you constantly, you're not enough, you're not as good, you're not as great, you're not as smart, you can never be them. That your past is too stained, your present is too sinful. Satan tells you no one cares about you, no one notices you, no one would miss you. Satan tells you that you are in too deep, that you're hopeless and that you're helpless. Satan tells you to give up, to give in, and to just give out. Satan drowns out the truth in your life, blinds you to the relationships that are there for you, mutes the voices that are hopeful and helpful. Satan tells you you're the only one. When in reality, 39% of students, as I read this morning, experience significant mental health during their college years. Almost half. 
will experience significant mental health. That means we can, this room, this side of the room is 39% probably. Every single one of them is going to endure significant mental health issues during college if we want to play the statistics out. And yet we want to keep it hidden. And then we want to hear from Satan, I'm the only one that's struggling. I'm the only one that has an eating disorder. I'm the only one dealing with substance abuse. I'm the only one that has the anxiety to this level that I cannot even get out of bed. I'm the only one that is this depressed. No, you're not. Satan tells you you're beyond helping. Two-thirds of all college students that will endure this will not seek help. They'll fight it as a solo army by themselves. You're not the only one. Help is available. Satan will tell you you're worthless. Compared to them, you don't measure up. Every single one of us can find somebody that's better than everything that we do. I can go find somebody that's a better college pastor, a better speaker, a better husband, a better father, a more loving person, a better whatever. I can find somebody that can beat me in every single aspect of life. And that's what Satan wants me to do. Satan tells us you're forgettable. But God vehemently disagrees with Satan. God knows you and he loves you as you are, not as you should be. God wants to help you. God sees worth in you. He does not forget you. You are loved. You are valued. Finally, you have help. Eight years ago when Clayton sat down and said, I have depression, I didn't know what to do. I sat there shocked, stunned, and in silence. Today, as I have these conversations weekly, I'm beginning to learn, I'm not good at it, but I'm beginning to learn how I can at least point students to help, to hope, to healing. I read this morning as well, anxiety is the top presenting concern among college students. The biggest thing that most college students deal with is anxiety. 41% of you will deal with that in college. The next, depression. 36% will deal with depression. And then we get into what like I thought college ministry would be about. Relationship issues. 35%. I you know, I thought that would be the the extent of should I date him? How what is this going on? Should I break up? How do I handle with this? But really more of you guys are dealing with and struggling through and have this deep burden of anxiety and depression weighing on you. And it's so much harder to talk about. And I think at times as Christians, we feel like this is unbiblical. That it must be weakness. That I must not have enough faith because I'm walking through this. No, absolutely not. This is normal for us. And we are here to help. I am not the best at walking through the hard and deep stuff with you. I'm not licensed. I'm not a professional. I don't have clinical training. But what I do know is I can point you to things, and I can be with you in the midst of it. I, I promise that I'm available to you. I promise that I am here to meet with you, to listen, 
to talk, to hug, to look you in the eye and speak truth into your life. This is what I'm here for. And then I want to point you to people that can help you with this real painful, heartbreaking, soul-crushing burden that seems impossible to get out from under. You have help, students. Don't believe the lie that you don't. You have help. Help when you don't feel like you can speak up. Help when you feel like every morning starts with this heavy weight that you cannot get off of you. Help when you don't desire to continue on. Help when everything is crumbling around you and you don't know what to do about it. You have help. I am here for you. And there are resources all around us. But don't sit in silence. Don't hide believing you're the only one. I want to point you to help, to point you to healers, to point you to hope. I'm a huge believer in counseling. I think everybody in my immediate family has gone to counseling. What was taboo 10 years ago is the norm now. There are therapy, resources, exercises, medicine that can help you control and to combat these issues. But beyond the science, I believe there's spiritual help as well, honestly. I believe that God desires to help you. We talked at retreat, and I left our students with this phrase, God can, will, and wants to help you. Or actually, I said he can, will, and wants to work for your good and his glory. God can, will, and wants to help you. He desires that you are healed. He wants you to get out of this sickness, and he is able to overcome. The Bible shows how God can work in the midst of anything. So I have three questions, and we're about to wrap this up. We're going to sing and worship in response to this this morning, but here are some questions I have for you. Do you believe that God can heal you? Do you actually believe in the deep, the dark pit that you are in, in the overwhelming burden that you feel, do you believe that God can heal you? If not, you need to start praying that for help in that way. Do you believe, the second question, do you believe that God wants to heal you? That he loves you so much that he wants to help you and to heal you? I hope you do. I hope that the God that you worship is a God who does want to work on your behalf. And then, do you believe that God will heal you? Or do you believe that what you're going through is more powerful and more real than he is. I look around this room and I see people whose lives were completely debilitated by mental illness less than a year ago. Who are in the freedom and in the health that God can provide. There is hope. I love what it says. Jesus says, if you had the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing is impossible for you with faith. These burdens that you feel, they feel a lot like mountains, I know. I would ask you to lean into faith. There God can, will, and wants to. On my run last night, and this is really what just kind of I've got to do this. 
I was listening to the song Good Grace, and it says this, Don't let your heart be troubled. Hold your head up high. Don't fear no evil. Fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. Take courage. Hold on. Be strong. Hearing it doesn't just fix all the problems. It takes courage. you got to hold on. you got to be strong. And remember where your help comes from. God can, will, and wants to heal you. I truly believe. Even your broken, battered, not as good as her, not as smart as him. So. so I'm wrapping up now with this. 21 minutes, that's fair enough time. Do you believe that the anxiety that holds you into your bed, that the depression that robs you of all your joy, that the despair that you have just come to accept, that it can be defeated by God? That he's here to help you in it. Do you believe that the eating disorder that you fear you must maintain to be loved and accepted by others is really a lie? Do you believe that the substance of choice that seems to pacify your problems is not a way to cope, but God can walk through this with you? We're going to sing here in just a second. Uh, this song, I don't know. Um, if you want to come get your guitar, you can start picking in behind we're going to sing in a second a song called Prophesy Your Promise. And you may or may not know it, but I love the, the lyrics of it because it says this. When I only see in part, I will prophesy, I will speak of your promise. Because I believe you, God. You finish what you start, and I will trust you in the process because I believe you. And then this honest bridge, it may be too edgy for some of you to sing, but it's truth that I, I invite you to. It says, fear can go to hell. Shame can go there too. I know whose I am. God, I belong to you. Fear can go to hell. Shame can go there too. I know whose I am. God, I belong to you. Jesus will speak on anxiety and it feels almost, uh, that seems really easy for the Bible to say, but it doesn't know what I'm going through. And then I realize God absolutely knows what I'm going through. He knows that tomorrow has its own worries, but he also knows that I'm with you today. I'm fighting for you. I'm alongside you. I haven't forgotten you. That I love you, I value you, and I'm here to help you. I hope today you walk away knowing that. Because the reason I'm teaching this is I couldn't go another week wondering if all of you know that truth. Fearful, shameful, overwhelmed by what is all in your life. So when I was in seminary, um, our, my pastoral counseling professor, she said, every day we'd have to repeat this line when we got to class. I got issues, you got issues, all God's children's got issues. Every morning we started that off. I want to, us to aloud repeat our three phrases today. I am loved, I am valued, I have help. So I want you to say that with me. I am loved, I am valued, I have help. We're doing it again. I am loved, I have valued, I have helped. I have helped, sorry, I screwed it up, y'all didn't. I am loved for who I am, not what I do. I am valued for 
as I am, not as I should be. And I have help. There's physical, real, tangible, talk with somebody out loud, receive an audible response, help that is available to you today, tomorrow, and every day. I have, and just about every one of you have received an email from me. You can always click a button and say, I want to meet with you, and I have my schedule laid out. You just do it, sign up. Hannah did it this week, right? You clicked, and she was like, I guess I'm on your calendar. I was like, yeah, yeah, you are. We're meeting. We're talking through this. Whatever is going on, you have help. So here's what I want you to do. We're sitting close together because we're not in this alone. We're in this together. So I want you to, as you can... Maybe it is, and we're not going to make this weird in any way. Maybe it's a hold of a hand, a touch of a shoulder. I don't know what it is, an arm around a chair. But I invite you to whoever you're sitting around. In some way, we are in this together. So I want you to put your arms around, hand held. I don't care how it is. But David's going to turn the lights off. Not That sounded weird again. Uh, <laughs> and... Here's what I want us to do. I'm going to open up some space to pray. And what I want you to understand is you're not praying alone. You're praying, and if you need to move, if you want to move, that's fine with me. To somebody that you know, hey, I need to be with them to write this sentence. Like Grant, you may need to go with Cameron. Yeah, so because he doesn't have anybody. Uh, but we're not in this alone. We, we're going to pray this as a community of people who are here for one another because if any part of the body is sick, we are sick. And we are here for each other. You're you're not going to scare us away. You're not going to push us away. If we can't be your support, who can? If the church is not willing to care and to bear the burdens of one another, then we are failing as a church. And so we're in this together. And so we're going to say it one more time as we are together. I am loved. I am, what is it? Valued. I have help. All right, we're going to say it out loud. Ready? I am loved. I am valued. I am helped. Now, you guys pray alone for a little bit or pray together however you want. I will pray over us and then we're going to sing that song together. So.